welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, June 2nd, we're studying Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 14. In today's text, John is told to measure the temple of God. Two witnesses also receive authority to proclaim the gospel for three and a half years. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's a real pleasure to be here. So we get started today, Pastor. Give us some... And give us give us your approach to the book of Revelation. How should we approach this as Christians? Why is it a useful, important book for us? Well, the, the book of Revelation is, um, generally, I, I would look at it as God's book of encouragement and endurance to the Christian church militant as it dwells on earth. Um, that as as God is going to be very blunt in his revelation to John and the struggles that the church will face, the the attacks that the church will face, the temptations that the church faces, all of these things, um, he's always pointing to that final uh, ultimate victory. Um, he, he's, he's always leading us uh, and giving us these little glimpses of the, the, the church and triumph in heaven. Uh, as, you, as you maybe look back at Revelation 7 or we'll look at chapter 21 and the New Jerusalem and all, all of these things put together as, uh, as the people of God, um, that, that God is seeking to encourage the church in the, the many various trials, temptations, struggles, attacks that the church faces um, as we live in this world, and, and he uses, um, you know, quite vivid uh, uh, metaphorical imagery to, to kind of bring that about. Um, and so, uh, uh, honestly, if, if, you, if I were to boil down what Revelation is, uh, maybe in one phrase, I would call it God's book of eternal hope, um, or God's book of final hope. Uh, that that you know we as Christians have that thing to look forward to as we live as the people of God, um, and that that God assures us of the final victory, that His His enduring presence, His enduring help, um, as we we struggle in this world against the the devil, the world, and our own sinful selves. So, with this book of eternal hope, we're looking at chapter eleven today, or at least part of it. What should we know in terms of the context within the book of Revelation that'll help us understand what we're reading today? Yeah, so uh, um, we're we're in the second earthly vision, the third overall vision, the sixth trumpet blast, and the second woe. Um, if if you can piece all that together, uh, but uh, maybe just in the maybe context of the trumpet blast that we're in the midst of, the sixth trumpet blast. This is probably um, the longest event or series of events that flows from one of the trumpet angels blowing their horns. Um, and, and what really kind of seems like three disconnected events happening after that sixth horn blast. Uh, uh, first, you have the, the um, uh, 
four angels kind of releasing from the four different directions, the horsemen from the, the Euphrates River. Uh, then you have that giant angel with the little book that John has to eat. And now uh, today we're going to have the, the two witnesses. But as you kind of look at it, um, uh, it, it, it's kind of this overarching message, both of the assaults that are going to take place upon the church, but also um, uh, the life of the church and how the life of the church and the life of, primarily the, the life of the preaching of the gospel will endure. And so you kind of have the, the fiery threats of enemies outside of the church, but also enemies inside of the church. You have the, the threat of the attacks of the world, but the threats of uh, false doctrine coexisting with pure doctrine, right? Um, and, and as you have this tension um, in the midst of all of it, you have this assurance that God's not going to let his word be extinguished uh, from the face of the earth that he's going to preserve his remnant, his true church in the midst of all of it, so that um, uh, uh, the gospel will continually be proclaimed, right? And that's kind of where we're at in the context as we kind of have this trumpet blast and these, uh, we're now the third of three consecutive visions to take place from that blast. All right, so we are reading in Revelation chapter 11 this morning, beginning at the first verse. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they desire." And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The seven, second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. That's our text for today. That's Revelation 11, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Danny, it seems that the majority of this text focuses on the two witnesses, but before we're introduced to those two witnesses, John is giving a, given a measuring rod like a staff and he's told to measure the temple and 
some of the things there, but not the court outside the temple. Talk about the measuring of the temple that gets this chapter started. Yeah, so so, so first, I, I, you know, we probably need the, to bring up Ezekiel 40, where um, uh, Ezekiel is told to do the same thing. He's given uh, a measuring rod and is told to, to measure the temple, um, and that measuring of the temple is meant to, to be um, a... A, uh, a hopeful thing for Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel, you know, of course, is during the exile. Um, they're sitting in um, sitting in Babylon. They get word that the temple of Israel, Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple of the Lord, and um, uh, they they go through this 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 mourning and this lament and this whole process. But then the, the Lord gives Ezekiel his signs. Uh, that say, hey, that that this this is a temporary destruction of the temple. That God's people will be brought back, and part of that is God having uh, Ezekiel have a vision of the temple and being told to measure it. Right now, so this this is kind of an echo of that now in the Book of Revelation. Um, but but the temple is more than just uh, a building now. But the the temple itself in and and the city around the temple, the courts around the temple, are really symbolic of um, uh, the the visible church on earth, right? Um, and so, what is to be measured though is is the true church. It's going to be the the inner courts of the temple, and and we have. Uh, not just like the dimensions of the temple um, uh, being being measured, but also the number of those who are worshiping there, right? And so you have the true church that confesses the gospel, that has not succumbed to the the false religion. Um, if you remember the the beast and all of those guys, um, that they haven't succumbed to the false religion of the second beast, right? Uh, the apostate church, right? And and they remain faithful to the word. And so the outer courts um, of the temple—that's what's not to be measured. Um, and those those might be, be be those who identify themselves as as church. But what do they do? That they they trample the temple of God. And and so maybe uh, uh, it's it's like the distinction um, uh, in the in the second temple Judaism uh, time period. Um, you you had the, the the proper temple and the proper courts of the temple where where um, those who were circumcised, those who were sons of Abraham, uh, and all of these things could go in and out and worship the Lord. But then um, you had the courts of the Gentiles, right? Uh, because the the Jews and the Gentiles were not to be intermixed, and, and so you have this distinction then of of maybe God's chosen people, and then those of the nations, those who are, are kind of at the gate, those who are kind of outside um, uh, being made. And then you have that distinction maybe being emphasized, where you have these outer courts being those who really um, call themselves church, identify themselves as church, but they resist the Holy Spirit. Um, they they make a mockery of the scriptures. They they tear down the, the word of truth. Um, they they call themselves church, but they don't do what God's church does. They don't rightly administer the sacraments. They don't rightly preach the word of God. They they do not um, uh, uh, set the gospel before the world. Uh, and so it, it is really this apostate Christianity. Um, that that's kind of on the outer courts of the temple, and what do they do? They trample it. 
Um, and so they're not to be measured as faithful. Uh, they're not counted by God as part of his holy Christian apostolic church. Um, and their heresies um, uh, uh, continue for a time period of you know three and a half years or 42 months. Um, uh, and it's and which really kind of interestingly enough is the same time period as the um, uh, testimony of the two witnesses. But um, so we have we have the true church being measured and accounted for and and um, in a sense really really kind of recognized by God, and then we have the outer courts which are trampled by people in their unbelief. So the the measuring of the church here reminds me of what happens at the beginning of Revelation chapter seven where the Lord numbers the tribes of Israel. You get the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the, the 12 tribes, and the way that the Lord knows who belongs to him, he counts them, they, they are guarded by him. It seems like a similar thing is happening here, that his church will remain, he knows who they are. There is at that same time the warning concerning those in the outer court who are not numbered, because they are not actually faithful to the to the true church. So I think we're seeing some some overlap in things that we've seen already in the book of Revelation. So that measuring of the temple is happening here. The rest of the chapter really focuses on the work of these two witnesses. And in verse 3, they're granted authority to prophesy for the same time period, as you said, the 42 months, the 1,260 days, this is the same time period. These two are clothed in sackcloth, it says, while they're prophesying. And they're also called two olive trees and two lampstands. So tell us about these two witnesses. Who are they? What do they represent? What do we learn from them in those first couple of verses? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, of course, uh, just to, to point out that the 12 and 60 days um, are 1,260 days. That's the same as the 42 months, which, you know, it ends up equaling three and a half years. Um, they're given this time to, to preach, they're given this time to speak, um, uh, and um, as we, we see the trampling of the outer courts taking place, um, and that you have this, this message of heresy um, and apostasy that takes place on these outer courts, at the same time, you have the, the message of the pure gospel. Uh, you have the message of the pure, unadulterated Word of God being proclaimed um, for that that twelve and sixty days, which which echoes um, the Book of Daniel, where you you have um, uh, uh, repeated twice in the Book of Daniel. You have a time, times, and half a time. So you have a time, and then what's in the Hebrew called dual, um, which means two times, and then half a time, um, uh, where the son of man, or sorry, the ancient of days, um, has his message of refutation uh, against evil, right? Um, and that happens, I believe, in Daniel 7 and Daniel chapter 12, right? And so you have this time, times, and half a time where, where yes, the outer courts are being trampled, but then also you have the two witnesses of God proclaiming their holy word. Um, proclaiming the holy word that God has given to them. Um, and we see just in the state of these two witnesses that they're clothed in sackcloth, right? So it, it'll be a, a message of repentance. And so what are they doing? 
they're calling those in the outer courts to repent of their sin. They're calling those in the outer courts to um, um, uh, 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 turn from their false doctrine, turn from their sinful life, right? Um, uh, and you know, you got a lot of echoes of Jesus's letter to the seven churches um, in this in this message, maybe, where where you have churches that are faltering, churches that are are, are suffering great temptation, churches that are kind of buying into false doctrine. Um, and and what does Jesus do? He says, "Hey, repent of this." And I will give you the crown of life. Repent of this, and I will give you um, um, heavenly garb. Uh, you know, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you heavenly citizenship. All of these sorts of things, right? And so they're they're standing there speaking the word of God, um, which ends up being a a terrible, fearful thing um, to those in the outer courts who hear it and and hate the message. Um, but then also it, it says that they are two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth, right? And, and that's an echo of uh, Zechariah 4, um, where it, it talks about um, a golden lampstand, uh, two golden lampstands and two olive trees that are, are set before the presence of the Lord. And, and, and well, we think, okay, that's kind of an interesting thing, but if you look at it, um, you have both the the fuel for the lampstands and then the light that the lampstands produce right there, right? Um, and so you have the olive, uh, which, you know, you, you extract the olive oil, and that would have been the lamp oil for, for the lamps in the ancient world. Um, and then also then the light that shines from the temple of God. And what is it? It's located in one place. And so we have this, this um, uh, you know, uh, beautiful image of God both uh, fueling and shining his light upon the world. And, and, and maybe that's a, um, an echo of John chapter 1, right, where, where Jesus um, is the light that's going to shine in the darkness, right? He's going to, to, to shine in the darkness to, um, A, shine a light on our sin, but also um, open our eyes to see life and salvation in his name. And so we have God present in his temple according to his word. And what does that word doing? Well, it's it's both fueling and shining the gospel of Christ before the world. Um, and, and that that gospel is going to endure, it's going to live, it's going to continue on the living before the world, right? And so these two witnesses being both the olive trees and the lampstands, they, well, they, they have both the fuel to the fire and the light of the fire. They have both the word and the preaching of the word that God has given to the church to proclaim God's word, his call to repentance and his call um, to faith in the gospel um, before, the, before the entire, um, entire or um well, maybe maybe a better way to say it, to before all nations and all peoples. Um, and so that's a, kind of this perfect, good, beautiful image here. Right, so we've got the two witnesses representing the, the work of the church. They're proclaiming repentance clothed in sackcloth. They're proclaiming that repentance to those who do not yet believe, those who are trampling the holy city for these 42 months, three and a half years. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands from the prophet Zechariah. They have both the fuel and the fire the Lord is right there in their presence. They are in the Lord's presence. 
And as the description of these two witnesses continues, they sound more like flamethrowers than lampstands. <laughs> so verse 5, if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. What what does that verse mean, Pastor Dandy? Yeah, and so th- this is um, a bit of um, first juxtaposition, right, um, to chapter 9, right? Remember, we have the, the, the horsemen, right? Um, and and the the horses, the kind of these demonic horses with lions' heads, and what and what are they doing um, as they assault the faithful and assault mankind? Well, fire, smoke, and sulfur are coming out of their mouths, right? Um, and and that's really kind of maybe symbolic of the, the, the lies of Satan, right? Um, and so you have the enemies of the church. What are they doing? They're they're spewing the lies of the evil one out of their mouths and into the world, right? And, and what do they do? They, they destroy. Uh, and, and that's really what the lies of Satan do. They, they, they bring about destruction. They, they kill. Um, they, um, they, they, they ruin life. They ruin homes. They ruin families. And, and ultimately, they damn us. If we buy into the lies of Satan, they kill us and they damn us. That's, you know, that's, that's the whole thing with, you know, Satan and Eve, um, in the garden at the beginning, what, what's what's his goal? Well, it's that that Eve would be destroyed, that Adam would be destroyed, that humanity, um, God's beloved creation, would be destroyed, right? Um, and so then you have this juxtaposition of those who would speak against the church. He would speak against these these uh, two witnesses, and what happens with them? Well fire pours out from their mouths, right? And so, um, you know, Satan has the fire of his lies that destroys. Well, well, we've got this fire too, right? We've got the holy fire of God. Um, and, and really, it's, the, it, it's, it, it's really symbolic of two things, right? Um, uh, first, uh, um, maybe the the fire of God's wrath, right? Um, God's kind of wrath against the devil, against Satan, against the world, um, being proclaimed in, in the words of these two witnesses, right? Um, but then also, it's the sanctifying fire of the word, right? That as, as the word is preached, what does it do? Well, it destroys sin, but it makes us alive in Christ, right? And so you kind of have this juxtaposition between the lies of Satan being this, this fire breathed out for our destruction, um, uh, and then you have the, uh, um, the, the fire being breathed out by the two witnesses, and what is that? Um, well, it's the fire breathed out for our purification, um, for our sanctification. Um, as we, we stand before God, um, the, it's either this wrath of God or the sanctifying power of the word, um, but it's really the refutation of, of the lies of the evil one through the preaching of God's word. Um, it's, it's to expose the lies of the devil for what they truly are as lies, right? Um, it's, this is also very reminiscent of um, uh, the prophet Elijah, right? Um, um, uh, as Elijah 
is going about his ministry, there's kind of these these multiple events where where he calls down fire from heaven, right? Um, we we have of course Mount Carmel, right? Um, where we have the the lies of the evil one very apparent, right? They have the prophets of Baal, um, and then you have Elijah, and they're both trying to call down fire from their God, um, both trying to call down fire from heaven. Um, uh, to consume the sacrifices they've put on their altars. And uh, um, we have the prophets of Baal singing to Baal, crying out to Baal, cutting themselves, trying to um, uh, demonstrate uh, the and get the attention of their God and make these kind of um, demonstrations and outcries to Baal so that he hears them. And of course, you have Elijah sitting there mocking the prophets of Baal, saying, hey, maybe he's out of town, maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, and then, and what does then Elijah do? When Baal's prophets can't call down fire, Elijah kneels down and prays, and God sends fire from heaven. He demonstrates that he is the true God. He exposes the lies of the preachers of Baal um, and and calls Israel to faith in in. The, the Lord, uh, the God of their fathers, the Lord and God who had created heaven and earth. Um, there's also other instances where um, uh, King Ahab is sending messengers to Elijah and all these other things, and uh, um, uh, they're, they're kind of there to chastise Elijah. And what does Elijah do? He calls down fire from heaven to consume them um, and all of these things. But in all of it, what, what, is, what does God demonstrate? Well, he demonstrates that his prophet um, is the true prophet, and he demonstrates that his word is the true word, and he demonstrates that he is the true God. Um, and so this fire that spews forth from the mouth of, of his two witnesses, it's, it's this revelation that he is God, there is no other, that his word saves, that his word purifies, that his word is truth. Right, um, and so you have this kind of juxtaposition between the two that it consumes the foes um, uh, of the church. It consumes the false preachers. It consumes the heretics and the liars, those who would seek to really destroy Christianity. Um, and and so here we have it. Right, um, that that the preaching of the word of God is the offensive weapon of the church that defends the church, that um, that vindicates the church, that strengthens the church against its foes. Yeah, the, the prophet Jeremiah records these words from the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. He's talking against false prophets there in that context. Similarly here, the work of the church through these two witnesses continues to be this fire, the Lord's word, that shows forth what is true, consumes what is false. That word is the offensive weapon of the church, as you said, Pastor Danny. We're going to keep seeing how that word is at work through these two witnesses in the church in Revelation 11. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Jacob Dandy this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. 
Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, June 2nd. We're studying Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 14 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we were talking about the work of the church symbolized here in Revelation 11 through the two witnesses. Fire pours forth from their mouths. The word of the Lord is that fire. And the work of the witnesses continues to be described in verse 6. These two witnesses have the power to shut the sky, so no rain's going to fall while they're prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood. You mentioned Elijah earlier. The first part of that verse sounds an awful lot like what happened in the days of Elijah. The second part of the verse sounds a lot like Moses, which two witnesses, Elijah, Moses, it seems fitting that those two would would come up in this description, it seems. Yeah, yeah, the the closing up of the heavens so that there is no rain. That's that's um, yeah, just this perfect represent, representation mm-hmm. of the story of Elijah, right? Um, where he runs up to Ahab and, uh, or, yeah, King Ahab, and he says, hey, uh, it's not going to rain until the Lord said so, right? And then he runs off and goes to um, uh, Zarephath and all these other places and finally comes back to Mount Carmel. But then also you have the um, shutting the sky that no may, uh, that no rain may fall in the days of their prophesying, but also that they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire, right? And so, you know, that's, that's definitely echoing Moses, right? You have Moses um, um, coming to Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and, and what's he do to demonstrate that the Lord is God and that Pharaoh is not God, well, um, God, God uh, afflicts the Egyptians with, with the plagues, right? Um, and, and ultimately, what's this to do? It's to, to, to free the people of God, um, to, to free them from their bondage to slavery in Egypt, um, and, and to rescue them from uh, um, the, the oppression of Pharaoh, but then also to, to free them so that they might be the people of God. And, and so, once again, you have this, this symbol of the, the preaching of the church. Um, um, and, and, you know, we, we think about preaching sometimes, uh, and, and we always, maybe Christians, we, we feel like we're kind of pinned into a defensive corner a lot in the world, because it always seems like the world has more power than we do. Um, uh, and that the, maybe the apostate church always gets more cultural traction than than those who just strictly want to remain faithful to the word. But but what is the offensive weapon once again that the church has? Well, it's it's the word of God. Um, it's the power of God. It's what the church is called to preach, right? Uh, and so they're given this power to shut the sky. Uh, they're given this power to um, uh, turn water into blood and to, to strike the earth with every kind of plague. Um, but as they're doing that, why is that? Well, it's to, to redeem and rescue the church from the world. Um, it is to, to um, uh pierce through the calloused hearts of those who would reject the Lord, um, pierce through the calloused hearts of those who would um, be hardening themselves against the Lord God, 
um, so that they might believe and be saved, right? Uh, and so maybe uh, as we think about this, the, the, the greatest example that we have of this and, and the real world practice that we have of this would be um, the office of the keys. You know, you have the opening and closing of heaven. Um, uh, you have the binding and the loosing of sins, right? And so you, you've got Matthew 16, where, where Jesus tells, uh, um, uh, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, where, where first in Matthew 16, Jesus says, hey, on the confession of the gospel, I'm going to build my church. Uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, um, uh, same thing. Uh, John chapter 20, right? Whatever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Um, whatever sins you retain or if you uphold forgiveness, that forgiveness is withheld, right? Um, you have the binding and the loosing keys of the church that exist. And, and why do they exist? Well, well, to, to draw us to repentance, to draw us out from sin, to comfort us with the assurance of the gospel, right? And so what are the two witnesses doing? What is the church doing? They're, they're both opening and closing heaven. They're, they're both, um, uh, they're, they're, they're working on um, hardened and callous hearts so that people might live in repentance, believe and be saved, right? Um, and so as we, as we look at this, this kind of reflection of Moses and Elijah, right? Um, well, we, we certainly have that here and now, right? Because ultimately, what were Moses and Elijah sent to do, but to, to discipline and chastise the people of God, so that they return to him in faith, right? Um, and so there, you kind of get this, this image, you have the two witnesses, they're, they're, they're in the inner courts, they're preaching the word of God, but they're also preaching against the outer courts. They're preaching against those who are trampling over the temple of the Lord. Um, and as they're doing so, um, you know, they're, they're calling those, those apostate Christians, they're calling the, the church and the religion of, of the second beast to, to repent, um, to say, hey, heaven is closed to you, repent, believe in the gospel, flee from your sin, and, and, and this temple, this church of God, will be open to you, right? Um, and so you have this, this kind of dual testimony, both of uh, law and gospel, really, um, going on here. All right, so the church is giving this testimony during this three and a half years, all the while the outer court is trampling the holy city, so the 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 false doctrine is still fighting against the true doctrine, but the true doctrine will run its course. This will not stop being preached. Verse 7, when they have finished their testimony, so the two witnesses, the church will proclaim the truth for as long as the Lord gives. So this is, I mean, there is great hope, even as we're about to, to see some things that, that maybe say, wait a second, who's going to win here? When they finish their testimony, you've got the beast rising from the bottomless pit, he makes war on the witnesses. He conquers and kills them. Now, hold on a second, Pastor Dandy. <laughs> thought we were talking about the the church that that the devil can't prevail against. What's what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you get this image that uh, you know that the time of their testimony. First of all, the, the the funny thing here, or maybe the thing that's first foremost most jarring, jarring is that um, they finished the time of their testimony. 
right? And so they're 12 and 60 days of testifying the word of God, uh, preaching the word of God comes to an end. Um, and, and, and you think about that and you wait, so there's going to be a time where the preaching of the church comes to an end or that the preaching of the church uh, um, uh, is silenced. Um, uh, and, and maybe the first thing we need to recognize with that is that uh, who, who ordains uh, and who provides the time of this preaching, right? Well, it, it's from God, right? Um, it is the time, times, and half a time that we have in Daniel. It's the three and a half years of drought that we have from Elijah. Um, that, that their time uh, uh, to preach is, is, is time that is allotted to them by God. Um, and, and they don't know when it's going to end, and we don't know when it's going to end. And so as we know that, we have to say one thing, just looking at this, this text right off the bat. Well, when is the time to confess the gospel? When is the time to confess the word of God? Well, it's now. Now is the time to refute the lies of the evil one by preaching the word. Now is the time because we don't know when the end will come. We simply know that the last judgment is coming and we must preach, right? Um, that, that is really the duty uh, of, of every Christian, right? That, that we are to uh, preach or support the preaching of, of God's holy word um, and, and to not withhold it from the world, um, but to speak it with purity and truth, right? Um, and, and that is why, you know, every pastor in God's church needs to be encouraged and held accountable. Um, uh, it, you know, and if, if your pastor... You know, for all of you out there listening this morning, if your pastor seems to be afraid or if your pastor is unwilling to broach certain subjects, pray for him, encourage him, um, uh, help him, uh, uh, um, encourage him to be bold. Um, uh, if your pastor is, is hesitant to, to reach out to um, those who are skipping church or if your pastor is afraid to, to, to call those living in sin to repentance, well, we'll come alongside him and tell him, well, let's do this together. Um, uh, encourage that man in his calling because, you know, those people who need to hear the word need to hear it. Um, and, 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 and there's a sense of immediacy to that. Um, but then on top of that, we, we have the time where, okay, that the time that God has allotted for the word to be preached comes to an end. And it seems like, at least... The, the, the church is destroyed. It seems like the beast and his apostate church have stomped out the preaching of the true gospel, that the olive tree is cut down and that the, 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 the wicks of the lamps are extinguished, right? And it seems like the church is dead and the preaching of the gospel had been snuffed out. Um, and, and, and really, ultimately, what, what is the tactic of the apostate church um, throughout history, at least, we can see this play out over and over again um, when they can't stand the preaching of the gospel. And, and maybe you have um, an example of this with, with Stephen, the martyr, right? Um, we, we have him in, uh, what is it, Acts chapter 7 or 8? I can't remember now. But what, what happens to Stephen is, you know, he's, he's preaching the pure gospel. He's living as a faithful Christian. Um, and, and, and what happens 
Um, he's brought before the council of the Jews. They tell him to knock this thing off, and then he begins to address them. Um, he, he says, hey, look how sinful your forefathers were. You're just as sinful. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Um, uh, Jesus, the one sitting at the right hand of God. And, and what do they do? They tear their clothes. They gnash their teeth. They drag him outside, and they stone him. But as Stephen dies, what happens to the church? Well, well, um, God scatters the church so that it spreads to other towns and cities. And the, the one who presides over the martyrdom of Stephen, we have, we have Saul, uh, also Paul, um, what happens? Well, well, God calls him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And then, and then maybe if you, you think of other examples of, of martyrs uh, becoming uh, uh, being witnesses so that those who persecute them and kill them actually become believers, right? And so, you know, we have the example of maybe maybe Polycarp and his death, and, and those who witness his death see how he dies, and what do they do? Well, they repent of their paganism and embrace the gospel of Jesus. And so it always seems like the church is going to be snuffed out through through the attacks uh, of the unbelieving world, but every time those attacks come, what does God do? Well, he continues to have his word be preached, right? Um, uh, maybe another historical example that's, that's relevant to us um, as Lutherans, you know, you have, you have Jan Hus, and what, what's Jan Hus doing? He's, he's preaching the gospel. He's, he's calling for reform in the Catholic Church. He's calling out uh, the, the maybe... Um, immoral behavior of the clergy that's existing in that time. Um, uh, and as he does that, he preaches, he preaches, he preaches, and then he's burned at the stake. Um, and, and remember um, uh, Huss's kind of prophet, prophetic word that he gives before he dies? He says something about Luther, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, he doesn't use the name Luther, but... Yeah, he, well, he says... Um, how, um, You've cooked this goose, but a swan will arise, or something along that yeah. line, right? Um, you're cooking the goose. Um, basically, there's going to come someone after me who will carry on the, the preaching that I'm given. Uh, and, of course, what happens? You know, 100 years after Huss, we have Luther, and we have the Reformation, right? And so you have really kind of a, um, uh, 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 in some senses, heretical, and and certainly in many many other senses, heterodox church persecuting the preaching of the pure gospel. But what happens? Well, God's going to continually raise up new preachers, and so it seems like the beast has won. It seems like the beast has stomped out the preaching of the gospel, um, and in this, the world rejoices. But that that's always short lived, because. The one thing that endures forever, heaven and earth will pass away. But what does Jesus say? My word will not pass away. And so the word is to be preached, you know, and it will yeah, be. Yeah, right. yeah. The, the seeming victory of the anti-church lasts for a very short time. It's three and a half days as John sees it here. And, and there are a few details to, to pick up concerning the joy that exists while it seems that these two witnesses have died. Uh, there's some... That there's mention of Sodom and Egypt, mm -hmm. which is John tells us that's symbolic, and that's where the Lord was crucified. 
it strikes me in verse nine that you have peoples, tribes, languages, and nations gazing at their dead bodies seems to stand in contrast to the peoples, tribes, languages, nations in Revelation 7 that were clothed in white robes. Here you have the opposite of that, mm-hmm. rejoicing over these two dead witnesses. Uh, talk about some of the, the rejoicing of the earth in this short three and a half days. Yeah, yeah. So um, first, they're... they're, they're um, uh, the, well, here, let's first talk about the, the three and a half days in and of itself, right? Um, um, you know, you have three and a half days compared to the three and a half years of their testimony, right? And so it really is short, right? Um, you you have a time and time and half a time of their preaching, and that time and time and half a time of that preaching is 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 like orders of magnitude larger than the silence that they are are placed under, right? Um, in their death, um, we also then see um, uh, the 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 city uh, uh, that that rejoices in their death right uh being symbolically called sodom in egypt um and and actually um it's it's very clear what 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 john is saying here it's jerusalem right it is the once holy city being called sodom and egypt which which you know sodom to the jews that that was like like the prime example of fallen and abominable society right um uh it it is it is the prime example of an evil city right there were not even 10 righteous men in that entire city right in egypt that's the country where their fathers had been enslaved um it was an object of god's wrath um uh and where 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 god's people were made and brought low uh and, and and now what's the what's the kind of insult well uh the once holy city jerusalem has these names applied to them right that that god is uh, uh, kind of almost speaking a word of insult against those who would call themselves holy um when when they are the opposite of holy um that that they they are the opposite of god's chosen holy city for god's chosen holy people and though they would maybe identify themselves as true church god has something completely different to say because what have they just done well they've stomped out and destroyed the true church they're rejoicing in the death of the true church uh uh and they're they're gazing at the dead bodies um, of those whom they have killed, right? And 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 the the really kind of striking bit of it is that they rejoice over them and make merry. They exchange presents because the two prophets who had tormented them, who dwell on the face of the earth, are dead, right? Um, and so we they it's it's kind of like Satan's Christmas uh, in a sense, right? Um, you know, we, we as Christians have have our our Christmas celebration where we rejoice at the birth of our Savior Jesus, we give gifts, we have parties, we make merry, we throw feasts, we have our big church services and celebrations, all that really cool stuff, right? Um, and, and now, uh, what, what's, that, what's happening when it seems like the gospel has been snuffed out? Well, um, the, the apostate church, the unbelieving world, they have their Christmas celebration. They, they 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 throw their party they exchange gifts they they have a festival right um and, and it's because the the preaching of the word of god was so intolerable 
um, that that it had to be uh, it had to be removed from them, right? Um, and and you see that alive and well today in the world, right? Uh, that that the preaching of God's word, the preaching that that we are beings created by a creator, that we are beings who are 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 made in accordance to the will of God and called to, to live under the will of God, that we are beings who are sinful. Um, uh, and who who ought to repent of their sins, but ultimately that we are beings, we are we are creatures made by God that are justified, uh, and that that our our sole reason for existing is to be justified by Jesus. That will, that's an offense to the world, right? That the the world does not want to be justified because the world does not consider itself sinful. The world does not want to live in repentance. The world does not want to live in faith. The world wants to be God into its own self. The world wants to recast God into its own image. And that's what the apostate church wants to do. They want to reform and reshape God into the image that's more palatable to them. And that's why, you know, you have mainline American church bodies, you know, um, calling God the Father, God the Mother. And you have mainline American church bodies calling uh, saying that that uh, um, Jesus's atonement is symbolic, or that Jesus never actually was uh, 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 did work miracles, or that that the the word of God is is um, that the Bible only contains the word of God, and, and so on and so forth. As we we have liberal Christianity doing what liberal Christianity does uh, in our very midst. Well, why do they want to do that? Well, they want to recast God in their own image, so that they don't actually have to be bound to, to anything God says or God desires. They don't want to be creatures made by a creator. They don't want to be justified. They want to do what they want to do. Um, and so now, then the world sees that the, the two witnesses are destroyed. Well, what, what can they do? They're free. They're free. They're finally free from those calls to repentance. They're finally free from feeling guilty. Um, they're finally free from actually having to be subject to the word of the living God. Um, and they rejoice over that. Um, I, I think there's also another interesting thing. They don't put the bodies in a tomb, right? Well, well, you know, which I, I think that's so kind of interesting. They leave the bodies out. They desecrate the bones and whatnot. And, and I think the reason for that is because the last time the world placed a body in a tomb, uh, it didn't work out very well for them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, we have Easter. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, and, and it doesn't work out well for them this time either. So we got about four minutes here, Pastor Dandy. In verse 11, after these three and a half days, the Lord raises his two witnesses from the dead. Talk about this. Help us to wrap things up here with these last few verses. Yeah, yeah. So um, at the end of these three and a half days, they're risen from the dead. You know, you can't kill the gospel. And, and, and that's the main thing that, to understand there, is that the gospel will not be snuffed out. Uh, God's word will be preached. God will preserve the preaching of his word. And though the church may contract, though the church may suffer and be attacked by the apostate church, it will never be destroyed. Um, and, uh, and they might rejoice over little victories here and there, thinking that they've won something. But God ultimately vindicates his church. And we see that, and that now, after the end of this three and a half days, this other time, times, and half a time, um, they're risen from the dead. Those witnesses that they rejoiced over being dead now live. And as they live, 
Um, we have uh, uh, God now calling them up into heaven. Uh, he calls them out from death. He calls them out from the world. He says, come up here. They go up in a cloud. They're redeemed from the world. The world watches them ascend into heaven. And then at that same time, what happens? God judges the world. And, and this city that uh, um, trampled the word of God, this, this symbolic Sodom or Egypt, uh, this Jerusalem, it's, it's destroyed. Right, um, it's it's rocked by an earthquake. A tenth of the city falls. Seven thousand are killed, and the rest are terrified. And in their terror, they give glory to the God in heaven. Right, that as people see the endurance of the message of the gospel, um, and then they see the the uh, judgment of God, or even God handing the world over to its sin and wrath. Um, they repent, right? Um, they're drawn to repentance uh, and drawn to faith. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we kind of maybe see historical echoes of this um, with the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70, right? Um, where, where God allows Jerusalem to be destroyed. Um, and, and what does Jesus say? Why does Jesus say that happens? It's, well, it's because they don't know the hour of their visitation. They don't know the hour of Christ coming. They, they reject Christ when he does come, and, and now they suffer for it. But in the end, what does God do? He preserves his remnant. He preserves his church, and he, he uh, um, rescues it from destruction. And he calls us Christians to himself. Um, uh, he calls us out from the world so that we might be with him. And ultimately, that takes place on the last day in the resurrection. Pastor Jacob Dandy is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. He has been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, it's a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this part of Revelation chapter 11, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.